0: Welcome to the Creative Principles Podcast. I'm your host, Brock Swinson. Over the past 200-plus episodes, I've had the good fortune of speaking with dozens of screenwriters, actors, and directors, such as Aaron Sorkin, Mel Brooks, Carrie Fukunaga, Whitney Cummings, Michael Imperioli, and William Monaghan, among others. We've dissected ideas on story, character, filmmaking, habits, and various principles for creative life. If this is your first time listening, make sure to hit that subscribe button on iTunes or SoundCloud. You can also find several of these interviews on the Creative Screenwriting Magazine website, in addition to some that aren't available in audio, such as with Nick Kroll or Stephen Merchant. In addition to the podcast, also make sure to search for the new video essay series on YouTube, also called Creative Principles, where we take a deep dive into movies and television, join millions of viewers for subjects like the 16 personalities expressed as characters, did Home Alone ruin John Hughes' career, the greatest movie never made, and how Jackie Chan creates perfection through failure, among many more. That's Creative Principles on YouTube. As a script reader, Scott Krupp read thousands of scripts before he started to climb the ladder in Hollywood, ironically thanks to the original movie, Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. He suggested the script in an interview, not knowing the company he was interviewing with had actually just optioned the screenplay. Thanks to this lucky break, Krupp took his knowledge of producing a play into the world of movie making. In this interview, the producer talks about how Bill and Ted faced the Music came to life, thoughts on the cross-pollination of theater and film, why producers must be proactive, and why movies like Jumanji and The Last Samurai took a decade to get made. If you want more Bill and Ted news, make sure to also check out my interviews with Alex Winter in episode 232, he plays Bill, and also episode 46, where I speak to the screenwriter, Ed Solomon. And if it's your first time here, make sure to hit that subscribe button and visit the new website, Writer Field Notes, for more information on this podcast, my new book, and the YouTube channel. Thanks again.
1: You know, I... um... Was a theater major in college, and uh, you know, I was a director, and uh, I kind of made a fatal uh, error for my directing career. And a positive uh, thing for my theater or for my film career is uh, I didn't move to New York, and when I was in college, I got to do a senior thesis film uh, play because I produced. All the plays in a black box theater for the whole year, all the student things, and that's kind of how I kicked off as a producer. And I was always, you know, both producing and was good at design and all of that. So I slowly kind of found my way into the film business and a combination of working on film crews, and then I was a script reader. Mm-hmm. Um, so <laughs> you know, I literally read thousands of scripts and worked countless hours on a film set. Um, And uh, I finally got a chance to get a full-time job at Embassy Pictures uh, as a script reader, and I became the story editor and then a production executive. And then I kind of got my big first job break, and it was because of Bill and Ted, to some degree. Uh, I was working at Embassy, and a job came up at Interscope. Communication, which was a production company where I would actually get to produce. So I was very fired up about it. I went and I met with uh, the head of production, a guy named Robert Court. And, you know, in those interviews, uh, one of the first questions and usual questions is So, have you read any good scripts lately? And I immediately said, I read this Bill and Ted script, which my wife had given to me. Uh, and it's the best script that I've read in years. It's hilarious. it's kind of both dumb and clever at the same time, it kind of invents a new language I think it's going to be fantastic and then he looks at me and he says you know that we just optioned that script? And I said no I didn't are you kidding me? And then I kind of redoubled my effort because I thought gee, I could work on this movie? That'd be so fantastic Um, and I ended up getting the job and uh, then it took a little while to get the movie made but um that's kind of how I got
0: started. Is that kind of the typical journey? I mean, do a lot of people, you know, work on plays? And, I mean, were you like, do you like hustle in the town you're in? Or how, how, do, how do plays kind of work? And how is it different from producing a film?
1: You know, it, it's, there are certain aspects of it that are really similar. and I, And all of those aspects have actually served me well in my film career, which is, you know story analysis and performance and um, production value and how to create an illusion. And, you know, doing it on stage, you're doing it with a fixed audience live, but doing it on film, you're, you're still creating illusions all the time. Um, so, you know, I think it, that a lot of people in the film business have their roots in the theater. Um, certainly, practically every performer does. Um, But I think a lot of, um, you know, directors, writers, um, I know like Chris Matheson, who was one of the writers at Solomon, met each other at UCLA and they were both in theater program there. Um, And they used to do the Bill and Ted characters. It was an improv bit that they did started, I think they started doing it for a class and then they started performing it elsewhere so, you know, a lot of people find their way from um, theater into film. Um, and a lot of it is, you know, one is it's harder to make a living uh, in the theater business, um, fewer jobs, lower paying, and film is, you know, it takes a lot more people to put together a film. Um, although, you know, putting together a play, particularly like a Broadway play, takes an enormous amount of money and resource. Um, But I think that also something that's kind of happened is as kind of new media goes in and all of that, I think there's been a little more cross-pollinization between theater and film. You know, this whole thing with making VR experiences, there's a lot of technology that is very film-oriented, but a lot of it is about theater and staging and the relationship between the performers and the audience and how you tell a story. So I think that it's starting to kind of come back together again, which is great because, you know, we now live in a world where entertainment, you know, a lot of things are possible that seemed impossible and new things are coming up all the time. And, you know, at this point in time, uh, we can all use a little bit of that because everyone You know the idea of being able to escape into entertainment i think always has been a good idea for people or how to express things that are going on in the world and reinterpret them make a whole new audience consider them it's all pretty relevant now so um i think that's how kind of the two kind of cross-pollinate
0: what's kind of so i mean you've been in the business for a while i know that some projects are likely easier than others but what's kind of the process like from your end to balance the creativity plus the business? Does it start with like, you're, you know, you're passionate about a script, but when does it kind of change from like being proactive to reactive and like putting out fires or is it just constantly just like you're just handling everything as it comes at you?
1: You know, the the role of a producer is, is a very proactive role. I mean, our responsibility as a professional, and I think a lot of people, if you ask them what a film producer does, they truly have no idea. Um, And that's probably because when you see credits, you see a thousand different names. (laughs) Um, And each one has something to do, but a real true film producer, uh, and kind of the way I was trained as a producer was, the job of the producer is to find the material, to pull together the talent, to work on it. Uh, So a lot of times you're finding the original ideas then you're finding writers and directors and actors, and you're putting that together. And, you know, our role as a producer is to figure out how to get the best out of people and also to know enough about the business to know that there's a market for something. Um, And again, in the kind of the new entertainment world, the market has actually broadened. So there's so many different platforms to create entertainment and to tell your story on. So there, there's, even if you have a kind of an obscure idea, sometimes there used to be no outlet for that. I mean to look at art movies uh, or foreign movies really a good example is that everyone used to think, ah, who cares about foreign movies? Mm. Well, suddenly we're watching foreign TV shows now on Netflix and loving them. Um, and, you know, I'm always very excited about that because I'm, you know, I'm a longtime Academy member and I'm part of the uh, international film uh, division. I have been for years and I've been on the executive committee. So I see a hundred foreign films a year easily. Um, and I love it, but it always used to be, uh, I don't really want to do it. You have to read subtitles when she, you know, but now it's interesting because the whole new generation, You know, a younger generation doesn't really care about reading subtitles. They're kind of used to it, probably because of gaming and because of using computers. Um, So now you have, again, this kind of just big opening out. Um, So back to the process. So you figure out what the audience is, and then you have to go and figure out how to get someone to put up money. Now, I can tell you I've had projects that have gone really fast. I've had projects that have gone pretty slow, Um, you know, the first Bill and Ted movie, you know, from the time we started working on it to the time we made it, took about two or three years, which is actually pretty quick, Um, you know, uh, even though, you know, we went through a thing, we originally set it up with Warner Brothers, and then Back to the Future came out, and it kind of sidetracked. The project and made them think about whether they wanted to do it and kind of weirdly as a result of that um it went from Bill & Ted driving around in a van to Bill & Ted traveling in a phone booth that was a time machine so uh something good came out of it and then we set it up at uh Dino De Laurentiis's company DEG and we got it made so you know that took about three years unfortunately they then went bankrupt and we had to kind of fight to find a distributor again and again it's the producer who kind of drives that process um and and so we did uh so and then the second one happened really fast because the first one was a success but this new one you know it basically came up because all of us who had worked on it and and, you know it was an important film for all of us because it was early in our careers and uh we had a great time making it and the result was really good. So it launched a lot of careers, uh, you know, Keanu, Chris Matheson, and Ed Solomon, and Alex Winter, you know, went on to do a bunch of stuff, but people would always ask us about it. And I think it got into Chris and Ed's mind, who are the writers and they thought, you know, maybe we could do another story. And they came up with one and they pitched it to Alex and Keanu and Alex and Keanu really loved it. Uh, and then they kind of reached out to me to come and see if I would produce it. And we were all thinking, oh, well, everyone's going to want to see a Bill and Ted movie because, you know, Keanu, while he was promoting other movies, people always asked him about Bill and Ted. And same with Ed Solomon, it just happened all the time. So we figured everyone must know what we know, that there's a big fan base out there for it. Uh, but in fact, they didn't. And if you look at it on a business standpoint, the original movie's only went out domestically and internationally, they only went out in English language territories. So there wasn't a lot of data that just proved that it was a good business proposition. Hmm. So we uh, initially kind of got, you know, I think it took about 10 years to get it made from the time that the guys came up with the idea to getting it made. And I was on for about eight years of that ride. Um, And we, you know, we got a lot of, yeah, you know, no, it doesn't seem right. and such a big gap. And do people want to see this kind of movie with grown men in it? And then we just wouldn't give up on it. Um, and that is kind of the key to being both a good producer. I mean, it really is. You just have to never give up. Um, you know, I've made other movies. Shimanji took 10 years. The original one with Robin Williams. Mm-hmm. And Black Samurai took 14 years. Wow. So, you know, you just have to stick with it. And, you know, you keep working on it. And it's true of all of these projects. You keep working on it. You don't give up. You listen to what isn't working for people. And then you hit this point, kind of an inflection point. And we definitely hit it on Bill and Jack Face Music, where we had a good script. It had a bunch of great stuff in it, but it wasn't quite all there. Um, and then suddenly... Came up with a really good the guys the writers came up with a really good idea for how to end it, um, and made a couple of really key character changes to kind of build up the family story a bit. And then suddenly people started reading it, and it wasn't like they were thinking about it like a business proposition. They said, "You know, this is really funny," and like and Keanu doing it now and Alex this could work. So, you know, it's just this kind of that resilience and the the stick-to-itiveness and, to be honest, relentlessness is really important to kind of the process. And I think that is kind of, in my view, kind of the key to producing is to make sure that you put together something that you think is really high quality and that there's an audience out there that it speaks to, and then just be prepared for the long fight. Because
0: that's usually what it is. Do you see it? I mean, some of those that take ten years. I mean, are you, are you just kind of, you know, balancing or repurposing points of leverage? Like, for example, like was it uh, was it Tom Cruise coming on to Last Samurai or like you know what's usually the last step for something like that that goes over the top?
1: You know, it's interesting. Last Samurai really went through a huge evolution. It started off as an entirely different genre of movie, you know, much more like a buddy, you know, movie about two cowboys who lead a cattle drive Mm -hmm. in, um, ancient Japan delivering a gift to the emperor of Japan. And then it just kept, and totally different. Yeah. And, and that script kind of just got thrown out and then it, then it became kind of the serious version of that. And then we were really lucky enough to get the interest of Ed Zwick on it. And Ed, there was something about the cattle drive thing that just didn't feel right to him. Um, and, And, you know, and he was going to withdraw from the project. And I had thought that he was a perfect director. And we had talked a lot about his love of Japanese movies and samurai movies. And so I just did one of those. And this is a classic producer thing where I just said, you know, Ed, you are the right guy. How can we reimagine this project so it's something that you would be interested Mm -hmm. in? And he did it and he really came up with, you know, it was about the end of the samurai era and it was an entirely different story. And then, you know, to my delight and amazement, he interested John Logan, who wrote Gladiator as you probably know, is a brilliant writer. And they worked up a news story that was a story of a, 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 officer who was kind of, had, you know, kind of had worked in the Indian wars and was kind of an embittered person and seeing a last, you know, people, uh, indigenous people treated really badly. And then he ended up, you know, on this gig to train soldiers in the modern army and then fell into the story. And it was a brilliant, they just constructed a brilliant approach to it. And we wrote a great script. John wrote a great script, we. (laughs) I I just sat on the sidelines to be honest and watched two brilliant guys. And that is a producer's job. Get good people, get them working on a great idea and then um, let them do their thing. Uh, And they did, and we had this great thing. they wrote such a good script, and it was really hard to cast, um, because a lot of people, when they read it, uh, perceived that the Ken Watanabe part was better than the Tom Cruise part, mm. um, because he was kind of, the, you know, the noble, you know, kind of more the mythic character, and, and the, the other character was, was not quite as strong. And we kept, we got, you know, a lot of actors, didn't really see it, including Tom Cruise, and, and then Ed, you know, we kept talking with Ed back and forth why he thought we weren't getting it, and I kept going, God, we got it, maybe we need to do something with the script and work on that character, and, and he couldn't get John Logan, and then he just thought, you know, I'm going to do it, and he took a whack at the character, and he wrote, he really made the character... The character that I described, which, who had a really, a, a different backstory and, and demons that he was fighting. He just put a little more meat on the bone. So he took the two characters and he made them much more equally matched, uh, and balanced the story. Uh, and we went back and Tom read it and, you know, really thought it was a fantastic character. And then away they went. Um, and, and you know, made that really a, a, a movie that I'm incredibly proud to have worked on. Um, and, you know, I think they did an amazing job. They both, everyone who worked on that, you know, and all the way through the process, you know, everyone was trying hard, but sometimes it takes a long time to happen on the right version of the story and something that speaks to the right actor and then feels like it's at the right time. Um, so... Yeah. That's kind of my, my take on that. Uh, and you know, as, as I said, Bill and Ted in its own way has always had that. It's like people haven't quite understood it. And I think they think of it in this way, like somehow it was perceived originally as kind of a teenage movie and it you know, about these dumb teenagers who were stoners. And in fact, Bill and Ted aren't stoners. They don't do drugs. Um, you know, they are obsessed with music and they are perhaps not the brightest people in the world, but they are unbelievably passionate. And, um, and um you know, there's that kind of wish fulfillment thing about the Bill and Ted story, this whole idea of dreaming of being a musician when you don't even really know how to play a musical instrument. I think a lot of people, a lot of musicians have always said to us, and it's why we've been lucky to get a lot of them to kind of work on these movies is that, you know, that moment feels like a really true moment to most people. Um, and you know, the thing that's so wonderful about Bill and Ted is that they're so resilient as characters. It's like literally the worst thing in the world can happen to them and they're sensitive and really good guys. So they feel it deeply for about, you know, 45 seconds and then they reset and they're ready to go back and, and just keep on keeping on. So, you know, that resilience and kind of irrepressibility, I think, is something that made them, you know, separated them from kind of other buddy movies and gave it their own unique brand. And And it's really fun to see Alex and Keanu do it because they are very much Bill and Ted, but they are Bill and Ted is adults. To me, as soon as I heard that idea, it just made me laugh um, because it's kind of so absurd. Um, So that's that's kind of the from a producing standpoint. Those are the things that you kind of got to look at. You just got to keep at it and and try to make sure that you make something that's good and authentic and that speaks to people.
0: Um, I think we're pretty good. I might we'll just do one more. Okay. What, what has kind of changed about the scripts you look at over the years? I mean, it's interesting you said all that because a lot of characters from the 80s might not relate today. There's a lot more PC climate where Bill and Ted do. But generally speaking, when you read scripts, I mean, what are you looking for? What's changed about pacing or tone or story or emotion? Or what are some of those things that have changed over the years?
1: Well, I mean, one thing that I'd say is that pacing of stories has changed, definitely. Things are paced faster than they used to. You need kind of stories. There's a little less setup, a little less character setup in a lot of movies, and usually they get going faster. Um, and that that just kind of a style now. Although you can see movies that are paced more slowly. And I mean, even big blockbuster tentpole movies like you know. The avengers movies you know those are three hour movies and they're paced slowly and they're very character driven yeah they have you know big plots and amazing action sequences but it really is driven i think the reason that people love those movies so much is it's driven so much by characters by humanizing those superhero characters and by building the relationships between them that it just you can do these bigger things so to some degree, I would say uh, the biggest thing that has changed, in my opinion, is it used to be the way the world, the, the entertainment world was organized, was movies are the highest kind of form and, and the most important, and then there's television, and then new media, who knows what that is? It's for gamers. Um and now we live in a world where all that entertainment, I would say, is on much more of a level playing field is that, you know, if, and, and every story you look at, you're looking at from this point of view of what's the right platform for it. Does it fit mm-hmm. best into a 90 minute movie like Bill and Ted face the music? Is it better as a three hour movie or, is it better as a six-hour limited series, or is it a series? Uh, and, you know, there's so many good examples of each one of those things. Now we have this whole new thing that Jeffrey Katzenberg is doing with Quibi, where he's trying to kind of change the format into these smaller bite-sized, but but still it's interesting because he's underlined the premise that it's still about building high quality product and building it with the best talent and with stories that are designed for that format, but that have production value that have writing quality and that have authenticity. I think the other thing is that things need to be authentic now for people Mm. is that if it's too much of a programmer or too much by the numbers and it's maybe because everyone has seen so much entertainment, uh, definitely true of the younger audience. It used to be only the older audience was kind of jaded, but the younger audience, if you don't have, if you're not authentic and if you don't, if you make something too predictable, people don't like it so much. Um, so I think that those things end up being significantly more important and making sure that your idea kind of fits onto the platform that you do it for in the right way.
0: Thank you for tuning in to the show. If it's your first time listening, make sure to hit that subscribe button and visit my new website for information on the YouTube channel, the blog, the podcast, and my new book, Ink by the Barrel, which takes advice from these 200-plus interviews and more at writerfieldnotes.com. You'll see the link in the show notes. Thanks again.